we laid off people, we left our office. It impacted our organization for about 18 months. So that was a horrible experience. It was a failure, but the future growth of the organization now is much more stable. Welcome back, everybody, to the next episode of the Mission Driven Podcast. My name is Rich Brubaker, and with my co-host, Tom Stater, we are here to inspire, equip, and engage mission-driven entrepreneurs. Uh, every week, talking about a core issue of entrepreneurship, organizational development, finding scale, and ultimately impact. And today, we're going to be talking about failure. It's something that Tom and I have brushed across a few times in our careers, as well as in this podcast, and we're going to deep dive into not just failure itself, but in the lessons of failure and why failure is important to an organization's development over time. In the social, mission-driven, nonprofit side, failure is something to be really avoided. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago in the, in the New York Times piece about the UN ops is, you know, how do you innovate? How do you take this on without catastrophic failure? And so when that happens, the last thing you want to do is just let it slide. You want to find those opportunities to learn from it, improve, and hopefully, you know, build your organizations from there. So from there, Tom, um, failure, good thing, bad thing, something to learn from. I think it's better not to fail. This, like this idea that like, you know, like on, on Twitter and on all these memes going around about how, you know, failure is an integral part of, of success. It isn't. It's something that we can learn from, something we should prepare for in our organizations and in our lives. But but it shouldn't be something like, oh, great, we failed. But no, it'd be much better if we didn't fail. Yeah, you obviously want to avoid the failure, but you need to take it on, right? I mean, if we're going to grow, we're going to innovate, you have to find ways to take on this risk of the failure itself as part of the process. There is that chance and and you need to own it, all right? And, and, and I think that's important. So that when someone fails at the organization, they, 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 they don't dwell on it too long. They work on the, yeah. the solution. How do we create a process to not fail next time? Yeah. But, but, but it isn't something that we celebrate. When you're going through this, there's kind of two levels of it. One is brand level, destroy your organization risk or failures. And yeah. the other one is, sure. thank God, because we're learning through this. You've got this crazy idea right? And you don't know if it's going to work. So already high chance of failure. And so if you're being, doing anything interesting, anything new that you think is interesting and new, you've got to be prepared and failures can be part of that process for sure, particularly early on. I guess as you create process, as you learn from those experiments, then you are actually reducing your level of failure over time. And then if things get destroyed, you can learn different lessons. Yeah. And I, I, I also think the perspective needs to be put into uh, failure. So as an example, our first library uh, as the library project was the, the single most dangerous library ever donated to any school ever in the history of the planet. It was glass tabletops in a cement floor room with chairs that were too big for the children. And the books were, you know, not the most age appropriate. Right. So kids were falling out of the chairs these glass tables were like, you know, you know, bouncing around. Um, but, but the library was a success. Mm. Were there improvements that we made on the second library? Of course. But, but looking back on that first one, do I see it as a failure? No, sure. not at all. Sure. Were there aspects that could have been improved? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
you have to move on from, right? Like where you have to dwell on it. And I guess the one of those that we've always talked about on here is, you know, when I ran out of cash at the hands on, you know, six months out, three months, I was thinking, okay, everything's fine. Not a problem. We have tons of money in the bank. I'm looking at our sales. No problem. Three months out from when the cash flow crisis hit, I'm like, hmm, we might have a cash flow crisis. A week later, I was laying off people and basically, you know, leaving an office space because I realized we had about a month of cash left. And what I realized was, you know, we'd been growing. We were about 10 years into our organization. So we weren't a new organization, right? I had an accountant. I had a bookkeeper. I had someone to tell me how much money we had at the end of every month. And then separately in the organization, I had the person who was making the money or actually a team that was making the money. But when there was a bit of a, a, a misalignment in terms of how much we were selling, the payment terms that we were selling to, what we were paying up front as part of these projects, what I started to realize was those that, that cash was coming in very differently over time. We used to get a lot of money up front. We weren't taking deposits up front. We used to wait for that money to come in before we actually paid for all the, the equipment or to the buses or whatever we were developing. But then that started to be like our cost. And so what happened was we had plenty of money on sales. We had plenty of things that would be coming in, but we had about a three to six month gap in how our payment terms are going versus the cash that we need to keep the organization going. My big lesson, I mean, I had to really dwell on that one because that was a potential organizational level failure. We laid off people. We left our office. It, it impacted our organization for about 18 months programmatically, but it was a great yeah. lesson because I learned how to set up just a basic Excel spreadsheet where I could better track revenue against cost in a way that I could actually project my cash flow going out 12 to 18 months. So, okay, that was a horrible experience. It was a failure. We, we got a hit for sure. But the future growth of the organization now is much more stable. It's, it's amazing what you and the team did. Like you had to make some hard calls. Yeah. Um, you innovated. And at the end of it, at the back door of it, nine months out from that, 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 that failure, right. you are a stronger, better organization. I do embrace failure in, in that yeah. sense as a learning tool. Or at least I make sure that if there is a failure, I don't let the lesson go unlearned. I just try not to be reactive anymore. And I try to put things into perspective. Four years ago, we created a document with my finance manager, mm -hmm. had a dashboard. And on the dashboard, there was a little, little cell that said healthy in green mm -hmm. and then unhealthy in yellow. And like the house is on fire in yeah, red. Sure. For years, it was always healthy. I would open the document. I would look at healthy. I would close the document. Yeah. Two years ago, that green healthy went to a yellow unhealthy. At that point, I dug into page two and page three a lot more. Right. I, we had daily, daily call, um, weekly calls. We, we went through the larger questions of that, that were going on within our finances. Two weeks ago, it magically went back to healthy. Mm. And I have stepped away from those, those the, I've stepped away from worrying Yeah, because I trust my team that they know what they're doing. Yeah. That for me is actually where psychologically failure gets very interesting is what you just said, like stop worrying. It, I almost feel like I'm going back 15, 16 years from when the founding of the organization was where 
I didn't recognize the potential for failure and therefore I didn't worry about it. It's kind of in the five year to 10, 12 years. I'm like, wow, I got to protect this thing. Don't fail. Don't fail. Don't fail. Now I'm like, you know what? We shouldn't worry about failure so much that we stop moving forward. I would just want to go through it, learn from it, keep moving, embrace it, keep moving. And that's why I'm not like as averse as I used to be. I, I think a lot of it just comes down to age and experience and, and maybe it's age as in physical mm -hmm. age, but also age with the organization. Yeah. Yes, for sure. <laughs> but I think that with the yeah. perspective or the, the ability to look back 10, 15 years, you're able to say it with a lot more confidence and you're able to understand the, yeah. the, the potential of catastrophic failure. Like the black swans are not going to hit you in the same way as say someone who started three years ago, anyone who's young and hasn't gone through these things, they really do struggle to understand or even see the failure coming straight at their face. And so the cash flow one is now something that I can pick up like that. I can, I can, within a few questions, looking at someone's books, I can tell you, dude, in 12 months, you're going to have the same problem I did five years ago, right? But they don't see it. So they're running straight. They don't even recognize the potential for failure. That's why mentoring is important. That's why it's important what we're doing here. Yeah. And that's why, why it's important what we do. You know, when we talk to young entrepreneurs, you know, I think it's important, you know, to kind of go back on what I said before, we have a failure rate at the library project at 6%. Mm. All right. It's, it's been stable at 6% yeah. for years. Yeah. Of course we try to get it down, yeah. but at some point, the cost to bring it down is outweighed by right. the benefit. And that's, that's hard for people outside of the industry to understand. Sure. They want a zero sum failure rate within the nonprofit right, sector. Right. They want 100% success, yeah. but they don't understand that like nonprofit programming really, I mean, the, the failure rate is insane. Yeah, very high. You know, and yeah. that's, it doesn't mean we're going to stop working here. Yeah. It's that we need to be allowed to yep. have programs that we plan the failure in. Yeah. Well, and that's <clears throat> hard for people to wrap their heads around. <laughs> to, to kind of bring that, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that we as an industry, because of that, we do our best to avoid failure at the public programming level. We like to only report the good stuff that's happening because we're afraid of having to, one, be held accountable unfairly. Like the intent is to solve these problems. Done. Okay. I failed at that. Well, that could be the death nail for an organization because your donor may pull their money. They're like, well, we have other organizations that are good as well because they don't really value the outcomes a lot of times. So your, your yeah. risk of getting whacked is much higher. To bring that back to something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs learn hard lessons around is human resources. This was my hardest lesson ever. Like I had a toxic team. We really struggled for about 18 months after that all happened. To an, to an experienced entrepreneur, the failure happened well before the team started to leave, before the team started to you know really become a toxic organization. And I had to learn those lessons over the the next six to 12 months after it all happened kind of retrospectively. I mean, I had people leaving. I had people talking about my organization negatively in public. I had people who used to be out, just complete stars, go to complete nothing. And, you know, the setup for this was, you know, 
I had a team, we were growing really fast. We went from about five to six people in the office to 17-ish with interns. And very quickly, like the mood changed. Now, this is the first time I'd ever faced this. So probably three to six months before that mood change, I should have seen what was coming. A month into it, I get into it with one of my staff over something really small. I mean, small for me, bigger for her. And we got into it and it was like, wow, like something's going on. And three months in, I lost three great people. We went from 17 to kind of 15 because the interns left and like 15 to 12. And then we went from 12 to nine. And it was like those nine that were left for them. It was like, God, I really need to get rid of them because this has become a cancer, right? It was, it was awful. Like the organization just, you know, stopped growing. Uh, there was no excitement around the projects. Like this was a pure organization level, catastrophic potential failure, set us back for 12 months. Yep. Now, Having gone through that, I learned so much about why. Because, you know, when you're going through it and you're a young entrepreneur, you're, you're like, what are they doing? Well, what I realized was actually I wasn't doing what I should have six months before that first interaction in the office happened, before that first warning sign went up. I should have been seeing warning signs all over. Like, I don't have the proper HR structure. I'm not talking to my people on a regular enough basis. I'm not addressing their concerns early enough because I'm not, one, asking the right questions, and two... I'm minimizing whatever challenges they say that we face. Back to your earlier conversation, you know, HR challenges, hiring the wrong people, having a toxic, like that's all part of the organization. There's always going to be that 10 to 20% that just don't gel. But what I found was also when I was going into this, I kept saying, they're great people. They're good people. They're going to come back around. And I, I wasn't putting in a process to bring them back around. I was hoping they would on their own because of the mission, because of the organization, because of my previous ideas of who they were and our relationship together. And I realized like that was actually the biggest part of the problem because I wasn't addressing their needs anymore. I was just saying, eh, it'll work out because I, I had this idea that it's okay if they go toxic, it's okay if they leave. Now that I've retrospectively looked at over 12 to 18 months, it's like, wow, the organization can grow so much faster once you have these things in place. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree 100% with what you said, all right? Yes, uh, HR policies, job titles, yeah. um, all that stuff. I'm also gonna give you a uh, an olive branch there, Richard, and just say hiring in Shanghai sucks. It's just, it's so hard, all right? And, and we used to lose... 90% of our team, 80% of our team annually in Shanghai, mm -hmm. it was just impossible. It was it just, is. you can't compete with the, the, the opportunity that team members have yeah. to make more money right. in other organizations and companies. Yeah. Whereas in Xi'an, you know, we, we lose one team member every year or yeah. two. Um, you know, and that's, that's normal in Xi'an. Sure, sure. And that's not to say that that's going to be that way forever. But, but I do think that like, I think, I think Shanghai is tough. I think it's the same thing that people in New York deal with mm. and people in Hong Kong deal well, with. Yeah. I mean, you so, know? you know, we've put out dozens and dozens of offers that have just been rejected because we don't pay enough. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also just one part of it. It's like, is the mission clear to them? Do they feel like they can contribute? Now, I'm okay if half those people say, you know what? No, your organization's not ready. Actually, by having that process in place, you are reducing your potential failure in the future because you are very clear on your process and on your structure and on your salaries going into this. So you're going to remove a lot of the, the, the people that you wouldn't want normally in your organization because you want more mission-driven people, right? But at the same time, 
if you're not listening to the market, like you're getting 40 rejections in a row and you're not thinking, hmm, I need to make an adjustment. That's a long-term problem that it's going to, it's going to undermine the potential growth of the organization. Then you're just kind of like, can I pay more or not? Should I pay more or not? And I, I, we were going to hire this intern from Canada about a month and a half ago. And I offered him what was locally a relevant salary, right? But his salary expectations from Canada were eight times. And he literally said like, look, I want to work with you. I love the mission, but I want this per hour. And I went back to the organ to his his university. I was like, hey, is this normal? They're like, yeah, that's becoming the normal, you know, internship fee for our students. And I was like, they're not for me anymore. Right. Like I I think they're great people. And that's important to recognize. Like because if you don't, the lesson from previous failures is okay, you're gonna acquiesce, you're gonna find that middle ground, halfway, whatever. You're going to bring them in. You know what's mm. going to happen two months into their internship or into their job? They're going to be looking around either for more money or they'll be like, you know what? This isn't that exciting. Like just the ability for that person to tip into underperformer or non-believer or into the wrong, like the wrong mindset. It's very high when you're not taking care of their basic expectations. Now, you can disagree with the expectations. You can say they're too much. That doesn't matter. But if you're trying to bring that person in, you have to meet their expectations. And that's the lesson I learned from hiring people who, okay, I'll do it because I like the organization. You know what? It takes about a month, month and a half of real work. And they're like, not for me. And then you start to decline. And then any potential for gains over the course of that relationship are just lost. Most failures has an HR component to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most, I, I would say. Sure. Um, but it's what organizations do with regards to the HR um, as a consequence. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that unless there is malicious uh, intent, meaning theft, mm. or they just want to like destroy the, the organization or the program. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that yet, yeah. but I've seen some theft. But, but we, we don't celebrate it. You know, we don't celebrate, oh, great, you failed. Um, but, but we... But we give them a safe space to fail in as long as they work on digging themselves out of the hole right, right. that the HR created, that the, that the individuals created, and, 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 and giving them that safe space. And so for Agreed. me, failure is not something I think about. Yeah. I mean, we... You know, every every conversation I have with my team has a has a uh, and uh, uh, like a a piece that could have been avoided. You know, with regards to failure, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have yeah. done that. But the vast majority of the conversations I have are, hey, what do you think of this solution? Yeah. Or what I like even better is we implemented this solution. We don't need your 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 feedback. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite kind where I'm like, okay, great. Like I've just put myself out of a job. <laughs> but okay, so actually that's yes, you did. And actually, by that previously being your job, the good thing is one, you know where the guardrails roughly are. You know where the areas of failure yeah. potentially could be. And so the first time you're running them through a project or through an idea or through a spreadsheet, you're able to help them know what to focus on. Now, they they may have a problem and that's fine, 
But just in that very process, as an entrepreneur who's probably done that job before a thousand times and is now handing it off to someone or you know bringing the next, the next generation up, you're able to impart that knowledge of previous failures in a way that helps them to avoid the same failures that you went through, right? Like your, your organization yeah. is having a learning moment. And I think that's where great mentorship in the organization is also really important to this. Is like when you're setting someone up, yeah. when you're watching them, you know, as they go through their process, as you're, as you're talking to them about what they're seeing, you don't have to celebrate the failure. You'd be like, well, how did it go? Good or bad? Okay, what went bad? What do you, you can, you can ask the right questions so that they can actually learn from that process themselves. It doesn't have to be, how could you do that? Right. It's like, well, what's happening? Because having gone through that, you would never let them get to an organizational level failure. You would recognize the signals in advance, hopefully. Yeah. You know, I think you use the M word, which is mentorship. And I think that um, with, with regards to leadership, with regards to the role of leadership, I'm a big believer in, um, you know, at the beginning of an organization as you're founding it, uh, there's no real space for mentorship. Right. It's doing. Everyone is doing things. But, but you know, over time, leadership should be moving into a mentorship um, uh, role yeah. where they are having meetings with individuals, um, say, middle management or leadership in the organization and, and imparting um, your experience. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I, that's, that's just my opinion. Now I know there's many different shades of leaders yeah. in the world and in the nonprofit and for-profit sector, but I do think mentorship runs throughout all of them. So in the process of your, I guess, experience, have you ever like sat someone down, walked them through a project, an idea or whatever, and specifically, you know, talked about the potential failures that could happen? And then one, how to see it and two, what to do should that happen? Uh, yeah. Yes, of course. Example. Uh, just taking finance. I mean, that's an easy one. I mean, we have that, we have that conversation with fundraising all the time. What happens if we if we get this don't uh, this 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 large donation as an example, what kind of teams do we need? How do we need to move people around? What happens if we don't get it? What's what are the consequences for the organization? Yeah. These are conversations that are very difficult to have at first, yeah. but as you have them with individuals right. on your team. Yeah it becomes very easy. I can have that conversation with my country director mm -hmm. of China very easy yeah. and openly. Yes. Okay. Because we have like 15 years of experience of having that conversation. Yeah. We have experience. We get into arguments. Yeah. And at the end, we're like, all right, cool. Have a great weekend. Yeah. <laughs> like, see, see you later. Yeah. Like, just... Because no issues whatsoever. There's, there's and, yeah. and, and I think that that, you know, it's, it's, you have to build that, yeah. build that, 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 that relationship with that individual. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny. So one of my team members, she just did a huge training yesterday for one of our largest clients. Um, and I mean, it's the executives all the way through the organization, right? I think I did nothing to help her prepare. Four years ago when she did this for the first time, it was like, okay, here's how you should approach it. Here are the slides I want you to use. Like it was all me. Okay, now translate it. 
we'll talk through it, talk to the client. Like it was very hands-on. The second year, it's like, okay, let's look back at the previous slides. What do you think could have worked better? The third year, it's like, hey, um, we had this thing coming up. Would you mind looking at the slides just to see if I'm, if they look like, you know, just, just touch them up a little bit. This year, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, if you want to come to it, it's at Friday at three o'clock. And you're like, okay. And she nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Now, what I'm realizing is the first year. I was managing the failure of the organization, but I was also helping her understand where the failures of presenting to that executives would be, how to structure content, how to read a room and make adjustments. Go back afterwards, walk her through what she went through, which slides worked, which ones didn't, any feedback, any questions, so that for the second year, improvements can be made. Now she's like, you know, this is someone who does not like to present at all. She's very, you know, she's just not someone who's you know, out and like, yeah, I love giving PowerPoint. She, she just generally hesitates, but the confidence that she showed yesterday was just amazing. And it was just, it was great to see how, yes, that growth can happen if you help them in the right way. Yeah, no. And I think that, I think a lot of that comes down to modeling and, 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 and hiring the right people. Yeah. Like a, you hired the right person, right? You, you looked at the potential that this individual uh, had, not who this person was when they walked in the front right. door. And another thing is, your team members generally look to the founder mm-hmm. um, uh, and leadership to model what, how they work through challenges, yeah. how they, how they, how they, in this case, present. Mm-hmm. You know, they, she is probably, um, if you were to ask her, uh, how did you get here? She probably would say something like, you know, I, I watch Richard present for like five years. Oh. Like, like, and I, I learned from him. Yeah. That's a great segue to the lessons of failure. And Tom, what are three things you would tell any young entrepreneur about how to learn from failure or why it's important? Yeah, no, I think that one, uh, most importantly, I think that as you're doing things, uh, you should not be planning on failure. All right. You should be trying to succeed. All right. So that's the first thing, right? right? Like it is, uh, you don't want to create a, a culture within your organization that failure is, is celebrated. All right. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the next thing is failure is a part of of the process to a degree. And, and you should be creating a safe space within your organizations yeah. or within your companies for your team to fail. And then the third thing is only if that team member uh, works on creating processes and digging themselves out of that failure. Yeah. So failure, I mean, I don't like failure yeah. at all, but, but I do think that that it is a, it's, it's just essential to know how to, how to manage it within your organization. Yeah. And I, I would jump off that and say, okay, as, as a starting point, the greatest lesson of failure I've learned is that there are organizational level failures and there are small failures. So Great what you want to do is at, to your point, you want to be able to plan effectively for the potentiality of failures at each level. So what can happen cash flow? what can happen on a project, different things. But then the second thing is, you can learn, I think, more from failures than from dumb success. And I say that as someone who had a lot of dumb success early on. It's kind of like when the stock market's going up and it's like the second year in of an eight-year bull market, you can throw $100 at something, make $300 really easy or Bitcoin or whatever. 
But you know, it's when the thing goes down, you will see how smart you really were. And I think it's very easy to think that you are smarter than everyone when things are going really well early on. But in reality, you're setting yourself up for potential big failures like I went through in cash flow and HR, and we've talked about in product. Like you're just not planning for it. And I think the third thing is, I think the third the third thing is you should on a regular basis look back on what you've been experiencing, what you're seeing, what your team is doing to figure out are there lessons along the way. You know, a lot of the hardest lessons I learned, I should have seen the signals three months, six months, nine months out. And I was not really reflective enough. I wasn't taking it seriously enough because I wasn't thinking as I'm seeing things, how my risk is adjusting. And I think that by doing that, even if you slow down a little bit, that might be the greatest lesson of all. It's just, you're going to feel it. You should plan for it. You should learn how to get comfortable with it because if you get really cagey around failure, you're just going to make bad decisions. And so, so in that sense, I'm not saying celebrate it, but embrace it. Um, grow comfortable with it. It's going to happen. But through that pain is where the, the, like the, the greatest stuff comes through. So that's kind of where I land. I don't know. I'll take dumb success any day. <laughs> and with that, we're done. Give me dumb success. We're done. <laughs>